0: Good morning and uh, welcome to another week of being scattered together. Thank you for gathering in this way and uh, just praying again that last week's Thanksgiving celebrations, wherever you were and whatever that looked like, that it was a blessing to you. And thanks for gathering again with us this way this morning. We're going to come to the time in our service. Now we'll look at a passage from God's word. We'll talk about what it means, why it matters and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible with you there. If you would turn to our passage today in Ephesians 6, we're going to begin again at verse 10, but hit the second half of verse 14. So let's look at what Paul writes here again. Beginning at verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers is the word of the Lord we pray for us quickly and then we'll dig into this spirit of God we ask you to just come and be present with us right now as we believe you have been already this morning we're trusting God to speak powerfully now through your word accomplish exactly the purpose for which you are sending it out today I'm believing you to do that by your strength not any ability of mine but as I always ask now oh, eternal God would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth amen So, uh, I don't know if this even happens, if they even do this anymore, but uh, I can remember as a kid growing up hearing about friends or uh, people that I knew getting to go to a concert or or a movie set or something like that and getting these backstage VIP passes, right, where you got to go back to the green room or the makeup trailer and you got to meet the band or the movie stars, you got to see the the lighting and the sound set up and everything, you got to eat from the fancy craft service table, and, and I was just so jealous of them, like, oh, you got to meet this person, and what did they, oh, that, that sounds so cool. Um, the, the people that I got to meet were, I guess, probably more infamous than famous, but I still thought it was pretty cool when sometimes my dad would bring me into the prison where he worked at the time as a chaplain, and uh, I got to go back and see some of the different areas. We got to see, you know, cells and, and the control room that looked over everything. You got to see, like, the room with all the riot gear I just thought that was super cool. Uh, but, but the point is, in order to get access into those places and to those people, it was only possible if you had that, that lanyard which said, you know, backstage VIP access, or if you had that little clip on your shirt that said visitor, that's, that's the only way you got into that place, so, or you could be accepted into those areas, Right? Like if someone, anyone came up to you and said, hey, you're not allowed to be in this area, you can't be here, this isn't for you, the the authority of whoever gave you that pass covered you. It covered you and and gave you access, gave you acceptance into a place where normally you would not be otherwise permitted. So we are three weeks now into our return back into this series through the book of Ephesians, finishing out this letter Paul wrote in Chapter 6 now, uh, in week number 1, we looked at that foundational groundwork that Paul lays. And and remember, pulling back the curtain between uh, the spiritual realm and the natural world and revealing this epic spiritual battle raging all the time between the devil and all the forces of darkness and God's redeemed people, the church. we also saw how God has given us His own divine strength with which to fight that otherwise unwinnable battle. And then last week, week 2, we learned about the first of seven pieces of armor that God has given us to enable us to stand firm in this battle, the belt of truth, which, if you remember, we said was primarily about our readiness for the battle, us being prepared and ready as we gird up our loins with truth in this battle that's primarily about lies and schemes. What I want to look at with you now together today is this next piece of armor that uh, Paul tells us we need to put on, the breastplate of righteousness. And that that putting on of the armor, as we said last week, is just as important as understanding either what this piece of armor is or or how it protects us, what it's used for. For again, the armor, it's available to every believer in Jesus. Everyone has this armor made available to us, but it's something we need to make the intentional choice to put on. That's why Paul continues to say, put on this armor. Otherwise, it's as effective in protecting us as that life jacket you decided to use as a seat cushion. And so, with that understanding in place that we need to make the intentional choice to put on this armor that's that's being made available to us, all I want to do today is look at just two things what the breastplate of righteousness is, and how the breastplate protects us. Just those two things. What the breastplate is, and how the breastplate protects us. But here's the thing if, if you don't if you don't remember anything else that I say today in this message, you lose me somewhere halfway through, what I think the Apostle Paul and what I absolutely want you to know about this piece of armor and why I spent that time talking about VIP backstage passes a second ago is that the, the breastplate of righteousness, remember this, the breastplate of righteousness is all about our access and our acceptance with God. That's what it is. If you can remember that one thing, of that one piece of information, and then put it on at those, in those moments where the reality of our acceptance with God is, 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 it comes into question, you're, you're going to be using this uh, piece of armor exactly as God intended you to use it. So if you've closed your Bible, if you've closed your Bible app, whatever it is, can you open it again to this passage? I want you to just follow along with me. Uh, Ephesians 6, we're going to again focus on verse 14 today. Follow along with me as we learn about this next piece of armor that God has provided for us, and and why it's so important for our ability to stand firm in this battle. Okay, so let's look first of all at what the breastplate is. What the breastplate is. Now again, as I stated last week, most commentators agree that Paul's description of the armor of God in general is a combination of what Paul knew about the armor of a Roman soldier in his day, as well as the divine armor that the prophet Isaiah describes in Isaiah 11 and 59. So as it relates to the armor of a Roman soldier, what Paul is referring to here is likely what was known as the lorica segmentata, which was a series of uh, metal uh, or iron, not iron, but uh, uh, chainmail kind of plates that was bound together internally with leather straps, and it would cover a soldier's body from the neck and shoulders all the way down to the hips and would protect, in particular, vital organs from attack. That was its main purpose. But as it relates to this armor being described as a breastplate of righteousness, Paul is likely also drawing from Isaiah 59, where there Isaiah describes a messianic warrior who who armors himself up as he goes to... uh, Fight in a battle where his people have shown themselves unwilling to stand for justice. He puts on his own armor, and uh, Isaiah states this He put on righteousness as a breastplate, and a helmet of salvation upon his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in fury as a mantle. So, as with all of the pieces that God provides, we have the description of a physical piece of armor, the breastplate, that is combined with a divine and spiritual quality. In this case, righteousness. So That's how we get this breastplate of righteousness. Um, The physical armor itself, that's pretty self-explanatory about how that works. Apart from the shield, this would be the the, the best line of defense against mortal blows from swords and arrows and those kinds of things. The only other important thing to know about this piece of armor uh, is that in the Greco-Roman world, they also understood our feelings and affections, actually as being determined, not by the brain primarily, but by different internal organs. And they ascribed a meaning to almost every single one of them. Which, maybe that sounds uh, silly or strange to our modern 21st century ears, and yet the reality is, if you think about it, we still use language like that all the time in the way we talk today. We talk about someone being heart sick, or dying of a broken heart, somebody venting their spleen, or having the gall to do this, or not having the guts or the stomach to do that. So, so we still talk that way all the time, but I only mention that because this is something that's going to be important to consider when we look again at how the breastplate protects us later on. So I'll just take a I don't know post-it note and stick it there by this understanding of uh, the, the feelings and affections being determined by this piece of armor, or the, the parts that it protects. But what does Paul mean when he tells us to put on righteousness as a breastplate? Like, how do you do that? What does that mean? Because hopefully it's clear by now, if the battle that we're fighting is spiritual, then, okay, we're going to need spiritual armor and weapons with which to fight. Okay, that's, that's great. But righteousness, that's a word, like even in church circles, we, we hear and maybe even use at times, but the more I talk to people, the more I think it's, it's a word we don't often really understand what it actually means. So just to give you like a theological definition of righteousness, what it means to be righteous, a theological definition is, is a legal status of someone who is morally perfect, morally pure, morally justified. Uh, That's why righteousness is referred to uh, throughout the Bible as one of God's own divine attributes, that He is righteous. So that's a theological definition, but I like the, the simplicity and really accessibility of Tim Keller's explanation of this term when he describes righteousness this way. Righteousness, he says, is to be presentable. Or to be found pleasing in the eyes of someone that I want to please. I like that. I can kind of get my hands around that definition. He goes on, every one of us needs to be presentable to someone. Every one of us is concerned not to be ashamed, for to be ashamed means not to be presentable. And then he goes on with this illustration where he talks about uh, a situation where you're being asked out on a date by someone that you really, really like or invited to a job interview for a job that you really, really want. And in either of those scenarios, one of your primary concerns there is to be presentable. I want to be presentable to that person. So how do we we make ourselves presentable in those scenarios? Keller goes on, he says, let's admit what that means. It means you do everything possible, everything you possibly can to cover over your flaws. Isn't that right? Right? So, so if you're someone that you know is just, I talk way too much, I'm constantly, nobody can get a word in in that interview, I'm going to be one of those people I'm going to try to cover over that flaw and, and listen more and just ask questions and, and try to be someone who doesn't talk too much. Or if I'm someone my friends tell me I make them feel awkward because I hardly say a word, I'm just way too quiet, I'm going to try to cover over that flaw. Okay, So there, there's a million different examples, right or wrong, of how we do this in a million different ways ways to those we want to be presentable to i know people will say well you should just be able to be yourself but we all know we do this especially right at the beginning of a relationship or an interview we're trying to cover over those parts of us that we don't think are presentable so then i love the way keller sums up this whole illustration i think it's so perfect he says quote what it means to be presentable is i have to be covered my nakedness has to be covered which if you have a history in church or studying the Bible might immediately trigger a story you're probably familiar with from Genesis chapter 2 when you hear that language of nakedness and being covered where Adam and Eve, in, in perfect relationship with God and with one another, are said to be, what? Naked and unashamed. Naked and unashamed, which if you were here for the Procurum series which we did last fall, you'll remember is a statement not only of just their physical nakedness but a metaphor to describe They're totally open, honest, transparent relationship with each other. They had nothing to hide, and so they could just be perfectly open with each other. And yet, what happens? Immediately upon their falling prey to the devil's attack upon the truth of God's word, what was their first action? What did they do? They sought to cover themselves. They sought to cover their unrighteousness with fig leaves from one another and to hide themselves from God. Or if we can use, just return to Keller's illustration for a moment, we could say, The result of sin entering into the world was that we became, from that moment on, unpresentable. Unpresentable to God as well as to one another. And this feeling of being ashamed, this unpresentableness, according to God's word, is now a a sickness. It's a condition, whether we're even aware of it or not, that affects every single one of us from that day forward in which we try in countless different ways to try to compensate for uh, as we become aware of it. So if you're a secular person, nothing to do with, with God or religion or anything like that, your unconscious awareness of this feeling of being unpresentable that, that's carried on in all, all throughout history causes you to seek your fulfillment in life, your salvation as it were, by being seeking to be presentable in the eyes of others. So maybe you're seeking to be presentable in the eyes of your parents or in the eyes of your kids or, or the eyes of a significant other, the eyes of your your work colleagues, whatever it is, to cover over the shame of your nakedness before God with the fig leaves of acceptance from other people. If you're a religious person, however, your theological awareness, okay, we know that we're not presentable before God because of sin, can cause you instead to try to cover over the shame of your nakedness before God with good deeds with religious piety, imagining that you can or have even become presentable now in the eyes of God because of your religious performance. And if you know the story of the Apostle Paul, you know that that second path of trying to cover over our unpresentableness before God with our own efforts was his chosen path, as he describes really in great detail in Philippians chapter 3, saying this, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And yet, look at how he immediately follows up this epic pursuit of righteousness in his own strength and according to his own efforts, which, which few of us could ever live up to ourselves. He says this, verse 7 But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for his sake. I have suffered the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Listen, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. And that righteousness that righteousness that Paul just describes there, righteousness apart from obedience to the law, that's all about something that's gifted to us by faith in Christ, that's the righteousness that Paul is now referring to in our passage that we are to put on as a breastplate. Which actually fits perfectly with what Paul has said about the armor of God in general being something that God provides us with. It's not something that we have naturally. God gives us this armor to put on because the righteousness that we're to put on uh, as a breastplate is not a righteousness that we've earned. It's not something that we work up within ourselves and draw on ourselves. It's something that is gifted to us. It's a righteousness that's outside of ourselves that is provided for us through the reconciling work of Christ and that we put on after we've received it by faith alone. In Romans 4, Paul describes it like this. He says, Now to the one who works... His wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies, that is, makes righteous the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, a verse that maybe some of you are familiar with. You memorized yourself. Martin Luther referred to it as the great exchange. Paul lays out the way that Jesus provided this armor, this, this covering of his righteousness for us like this. It says, God made him who knew no sin, that is Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now that that statement right there, that's at the very heart of the gospel message describing what theologians refer to as credited righteousness or imputed righteousness. And maybe you sound that sounds like intimidating above your pay grade, but actually it's quite simple. First of all, it means that Just simply the way that Jesus took all of our sin and and selfishness and failures and rebellion, that the things that make us unpresentable in God's eyes, credited them, uh, imputed them into His account, and then absorbed the full wrath of God against those sins in His death on the cross. And yet, as we keep reading, we know that that's only half of the story, because what Jesus then went on to do is that He took the record of His perfect obedience— his perfect presentableness before God and credited it, imputed it into our account so that now we stand not only forgiven before God, but perfectly righteous, perfectly presentable once more in his eyes. So this, that all of that and, and so much more is what the breastplate of righteousness that God has provided for us and that Paul tells us we need to put on is, that's that's what it is. It's, our again, our acceptance with God, given to us, credited to us. And we'll look in a second at why it's such an important piece of armor and, 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 and in this battle and, and what it is exactly that it's intended to protect us from in particular. But before we get to any of that, I, I just want to pause and take a moment and just ask you to consider in your own heart and in your own life today, have you received this gift of righteousness yourself? Have you received this presentableness before God again personally, yourself? And I'm asking you this, whether you're a religious person who's been trying to earn your righteousness in God's eyes again through your religious performance, or someone who's never even considered their need for His righteousness in your life before, but always wondered why no matter how much acceptance and approval you got from others, you still had this sense of being unpresentable. This this. This covering, this this righteousness is a gift of God freely given to all who turned by faith in Jesus and trust in His work to accomplish their righteousness in His death on the cross, as Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3. But now the righteousness of God has been revealed apart from the law. That is, apart from our performance. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, there's that word again, are made righteous by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. If you've never known what it is to put on righteousness before, I pray that today, this this very day, would be the day that you would turn in faith to Jesus and know what it is to be presentable again in the eyes of the one who made you, the one who made us for relationship with himself. To know again that presentableness before God. For, for we were made for relationship with him. As St. Augustine said so simply and profoundly. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord. And our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. I pray you'd find that rest today in knowing his righteousness. Okay. That, that's what the breastplate is. Uh, uh, the last thing I want to look at now together with you is why the breastplate is so needed in this battle. So let's look lastly now at how the breastplate protects us. How the breastplate protects us. Um, I I don't know if you've ever experienced this phenomenon before, but if you've ever hung around people who really like their sports team, so much so that they uh, wear the team jersey around in public, I'll freely admit I'm one of those people, uh, you may have noticed that sometimes the way we talk about the team that we support can begin to sound an awful lot like we might think that we actually play on the team. Have you noticed this before? Uh, this happens at, at times like there's the more subtle forms where we, we refer to the team we support as my team, like my team played last night and stuff like that. But then there's the more obvious kind of embarrassing forms where people start talking about how, how we played so amazingly last night. Our special teams were so incredible. Our passing was taped to tape. And it usually takes the objective, level-headed voice of an outsider, usually someone who doesn't care about sports at all, to just bring us back down to earth and remind us, hey, hey, you know, um, just because you're wearing the jersey, it it doesn't mean you actually play on the team. You you know that, right? Helpful, even if we don't always receive it that way. I I mention that for the simple reason that that right there, is the primary reason why the breastplate of righteousness is so important to enable us to stand firm in this battle. Because here's the thing, when you begin to understand what this breastplate of righteousness that Paul is describing here is, in all of its fullness, as I've worked hard to try to help us see, you come to see that it's almost exactly like that backstage VIP pass that we talked about as we began this morning. Like we're literally being given access and acceptance into the most epic, glorious, prestigious event in the universe when we wear this breastplate. And man, we didn't even cover the doctrine of adoption, but, but the, the, these passes that we're given, these aren't temporary passes that are going to be taken back. They are as good, they, this, this lanyard around your neck that's referred to as the breastplate of righteousness is as good as adoption papers, making you a full son or daughter in the family of God with all the rights and privileges of a natural-born son. But whether it's passages like 2 Corinthians 5.21, Romans 3.21, or or a dozen others like them, as incredible as it can make us feel to know, now we have this full access, this full acceptance with God, this presentableness before God, once again, it feels so good. There always seems to be This nagging, whispering, mocking voice in the background all the time, usually at our weakest moments or after one of our most epic failures, saying, but not really, right? (laughs) Like, not really. Like, do you know, just because you've got access there right now, you don't really belong there. Like just because you've got the jersey on, it doesn't mean you're actually part of the team. You, you know that, right? Like, just, just wait. You'll, you'll see. Any moment now, God's going to realize how wrong he was to let you in there. <laughs> He's going to see what, what an untrust, trustworthy screw-up you truly are, and you're going to be out of there. Pass is going to be gone. You'll be back on the outside looking in where unpresentable people like you belong. Just wait. How many of you ever heard that condemning voice in your life before, especially when you've messed up big time? How many of you, I wonder, are hearing that voice even right now as I'm speaking? But you see now, this this is exactly why the breastplate of righteousness is so needed in this battle and why Paul tells us after making ourselves ready by girding our loins with the belt of truth, the very next thing we need to do is to put on this breastplate of righteousness because after losing the battle of doubting the truth of God's word and and losing you to the other team as it were the very next course of attack for the devil whose name in Hebrew means adversary and in the Greek means slanderer is to try to cause you to constantly doubt the reality of your new identity in Jesus so that if he can't even though he can't undo the reconciling work of Jesus in your life, he can at least make you, uh, render you powerless and ineffective in his army because you're constantly doubting whether you, am I truly a part of this? Maybe I, maybe I don't really belong here. Like, re- read a chapter like Romans 8, which is really just a fuller treatment of the righteousness of God given by grace through faith that Paul talks about there in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And consider the number of times he brings up the subject of condemnation in the midst of talking about the free-adopting love of God, and you'll begin to understand the true nature of this battle that we're in. So that when Paul starts asking rhetorical questions in Romans 8, like, if God is for us, who could be against us? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Or, Or it's God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? We can know they truly are rhetorical questions, because Paul knows exactly who. And he goes on to describe them in detail in verse 11 and 12 of our passage in Ephesians 6. It's, it's the devil himself. It's the powers, it's the authorities, it's the cosmic rulers over this present darkness. That's who is constantly against us and condemning us, charging us as frauds in the kingdom of God. But this is why the breastplate of righteousness is so essential in this fight and why, you can take down that post-it note now, why I took time earlier to highlight the way in Greco-Roman times they understood the organs that were protected by the breastplate as the seat of our affections and our emotions and our feelings. Because think about this. While your righteousness, your your presentableness before God in Jesus is now something that's objectively true for all time. That's an unchanging, objective truth right now. Jesus says, uh, those who are in my hand, no one can snatch them out. So that's secure, and yet our subjective experience of that truth, our our consistent belief in that truth is not for all time, is it? So, while the slanderous condemning attacks of the enemy, they're constant, they're unrelenting, nowhere are they more severe and piercing than when they influence our feelings, when they influence our affections. Because if our enemy, the one who John refers to as the accuser of the brethren in Revelation 12, if he can influence your feelings and your affections so that you're led to act in ways that are inconsistent with your new identity, all of a sudden he then has the perfect grounds to accuse and condemn you, to point at that and point at you and say, Aha! You see, I told you. I said you don't really belong there. Look at what you just did. Righteous. Really? Just because you got the jersey on doesn't mean you're actually part of the team. And yet it's at moments exactly like that. Where where we've failed, where we feel anything but presentable before God and the battle seems all but lost, that we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness again. If we haven't put it on, like Paul told us to, we need to put it on again, both to remind us of our full access and acceptance from God, completely apart from our efforts, and to guard our feelings and affections so that more and more we will live lives in accordance with our new identity, so that we won't give the, the enemy any grounds to accuse us. As John reminds us, First John chapter 3, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. But that, in the end, is, is the true power and strength of God contained within this piece of armor, and why clothing ourselves is no hypocrisy for which we need to be ashamed or embarrassed. Because here's the thing, that the breastplate of righteousness was never an emblem of our deserving to begin with, but of Christ's deserving never a testimony of our efforts to be righteous, but a game-worn jersey stained with the redeeming blood of all Christ's efforts on our behalf. And thus, the one defense, the one sure defense against every condemning attack of the, of the enemy that will continually enable us to stand firm. As the modern hymn so powerfully reminds us, and I'll close with this, When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen Lamb, my pure and spotless righteousness. The great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased with his blood. My life is hid. My life is covered with Christ on high. With Christ, my Savior and my God. Amen. Amen. Praise God for that.